Hi, I'm Matthew Kind. Every Monday, look for a fresh new episode where I'll take you behind the scenes and interview the insiders that are shaping the rapidly evolving cannabis industry. Learn more at cannainsider.com. That's C-A-N-N-A insider.com. Now here's your program. Some investors are seeing opportunity in post-seed stage investing. Here to tell us about it is Patrick Ray, Managing Director at Poseidon Garden Fund. Patrick, welcome back to Can Insider. Thanks, Matt. Happy to be here. Give us a sense of geography. Where are you in the world today? I am in beautiful Boulder, Colorado today. Oh, good. And I'm in Lisbon, Portugal. So, Patrick, tell us what is the Poseidon Garden Fund? Yeah, the Poseidon Garden Fund is a very traditional VC fund, uh, but focused on the post-seed stage in the cannabis industry. Uh, We're focusing our investment strategies right at that stage of company that is um, getting staged up for their Series A, but not quite there. And it's where we see a lot of opportunity. So we'll invest in um, companies all over the cannabis industry, businesses that touch the plant, single state operators, as well as technology companies. And, um, you know, the Garden Fund is a collaboration between myself and uh, Emily Morgan Paxia of Poseidon Garden Fund and uh, the team there at Poseidon. So we've known each other since January of 2014, and we've always talked about working together. And here we are. Listeners may remember you from earlier interviews as the founder of Canopy Boulder. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. Uh, Canopy Boulder uh, is the leading business accelerator in the cannabis industry. We founded that back in 2013 and followed the model uh, defined by Techstars of a very actively engaged uh, business accelerator. We make investments, run companies through a 13 to 16 week in-person accelerator program. Um, take equity positions and help them raise capital and grow their businesses. And uh, over the period of time that we were, I was running it, we invested in 115 companies, including uh, firms that you might have heard of, like Front Range Biosciences, or Work, uh, the payroll processing firm, or um, BDS Analytics. Great, great. And and who's running it now? Uh, we're actually actively hiring for the person to lead the next accelerator. So. Um, if you're interested, please do reach out to me on LinkedIn, and uh, we'd love to talk. Okay. And we can get more of that information at the close of the interview, how to contact you. So we have a lot of people listening to the show that are investors or want to be investors, but don't really have the lay of the land of what the cannabis, cannabis industry is. How would you frame the investment landscape for them in a way that's kind of digestible and highlights the most important things? Oh, that's a big one. Um, There are so many opportunities uh, to invest in the cannabis industry from public equities, uh, retail investing in some of the largest companies in the industry, uh, multi-state operators like Ascend Wellness and uh, Cresco Labs and uh, Green Thumb Industries uh, to um, crowdfunding uh, of cannabis startups uh, through platforms like Seed Invest. So, or micro ventures. Um, In between, there's early stage funds, there's late stage investment funds, all for accredited investors. Um, And then there's real estate, there's business technology, there's product technology, there's hemp, there's CBD, and then there's the businesses that have to get state licenses to grow, process, and sell 
THC. Um, I've probably missed something there, but um, the the landscape is as big and growing as are the companies and the industry at large. Okay, you mentioned Seed Invest there, and I know the the I don't know personally, but I know the gentleman uh, Jeremy Allaire who uh, runs Circle, the largest stablecoin company. Um, they bought Seed Invest. Do you hear anything about stable coins or blockchains or different crypto assets being used to raise capital or is it still too early for that? You know, here and there, we've heard of companies utilizing cryptocurrencies and coins to raise capital. Um, It's certainly not the norm. Um, It's more of uh, an anomaly that we hear about, but it, it has happened as you know, these cryptocurrencies and coins have uh, generated a lot of value over the years, and, and some uh, entrepreneurs will accept them uh, as investment. Okay. So with the Garden Fund, it sounds like you're taking elements of Canopy Boulder, your background there, integrating them into the investment world and startups. Can you talk a little bit about the dovetailing there? You know, I think as uh, people evolve in their careers, you know, they take lessons and learnings from past experiences and uh, parlay them into new opportunities. Uh, Canopy Boulder is a very uh, defined and established model of a business accelerator. And it you know, required uh, in-person uh, presence uh, for the companies to come uh, to get investment from Canopy Boulder and go through our program. Um, you know, I through that process, uh, learned a lot. Um, you know, as the companies learn, I think we learn as well. And, um, you know, when the opportunity came up to partner up with Emily and Morgan and the Poseidon team on a new fund, uh, the timing was right. Their interest and, 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 and my interest on a strategy focused on the post seed stage companies, you know, right again, before the series a, uh, aligned and, um, we decided to join forces and I'll tell you what, you know, um, it's so fun to be, uh, learning, constantly learning. And I feel like uh, with Poseidon um, being challenged and um, and um, learning so much more than I ever did uh, from Emily Morgan and the team there that have so much incredible experience running two venture funds in the cannabis industry since you know we all started back in 2013-14. Um, it's really inspiring. Um, and and you know, I wake up every day really excited to, you know, find the next company that's going to become, you know, the Send Wellness or the GTI or the BDS analytics in the cannabis industry. So this kind of a sweet spot you found. Um, I mean, the, initially what happens if you have angel investors come in, they kind of do a, is it typically a convertible note where they'll say, hey, I'll give you this money. And eventually when a venture capitalist comes along and values your company, well, look how much money I gave you. And I'll, you know, I'll be part of that valuation. Um, and and you're coming in usually after those angel investors when the business has a little bit more, um, just a little bit more traction. It's less of an idea and more like, okay, we're, we're doing something now and something's happening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, typically startups in the cannabis industry begin with an idea, um, a couple of founders, they, maybe they, uh, divert some of their, either, uh, their resources towards starting the business raise some money from their families and friends, uh, perhaps go to an accelerator like Canopy Boulder or elsewhere, 
angel groups to get some seed capital. And that's to create the MVP, right? The minimum viable product, uh, develop their product or service, test it in the market, find out if they can generate some response, some positive response or some traction. And it's at that point that we're very interested at the garden fund in engaging with these companies and potentially making an investment. You know, that initial traction, right? And I always say they've cranked the wheel, right? A couple of times and um, of this sort of engine of a business and, and it's starting to hum and sputter and there's, there's something there, right? And then the founders are looking for uh, partners with capital to come in who have experience and have been around the block in the cannabis industry to help them scale, grow, um, build their teams, uh, define their culture, and really set themselves up for success down the road. So with Canopy Boulder, we were investing when people had ideas, right? Or they had just raised some family and friends capital and they were just about to get their MVP out. It was, it was in that seed stage. But it's the post-seed stage where you know you see some traction, you see some success, and it's more clear whether or not, at least to us, whether or not these uh, teams are going to be successful. And that's when we want to get in. And the other thing about that post-seed stage is um, the valuations are still reasonable. Um, we have a chart in our deck that, uh, from the data that Poseidon's collected over the years, that indicates uh, valuations jumping, you know, five to six times between this post-seed stage and Series A, and that's primarily been driven. Um, by a number of venture capital from funds that um, all were found in the last sort of like four or five years that were focused on that Series A stage. So in essence, they priced up the value of the companies. Um, it's created this gap in uh, the post-seed investment stage, which we intend to fill uh, with the Garden Fund. And um, you know, so far, so good. We've been very active and um, making our first investments, and we're very excited about this. So you're not just a write a check and walk away. It seems like there's there's more engagement here. I know that warm introductions make a big uh, big impact on a new business, and you've made warm introductions for me that have been very helpful. Can you just talk about what that process is and how that just helps springboard uh, a new business? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, it really does take a village um, for any business to get off the ground. You know, that support structure and people. Uh, willingly helping you and sometimes willing you into uh, good situations uh, through warm introductions. So, you know, all of our portfolio company CEOs uh, that we invest in uh, through the Garden Fund join a mastermind group. So this isn't an accelerator. It's not an incubator. It's not sort of that large commitment of time and energy that can sometimes be disruptive, but a lighter touch um, meeting of the minds, sort of a peer-to-peer, founder-to-founder support group. Um, you know, we, we created it to drive that uh, confidential collaboration, that support that I talked about, and growth and scaling strategies, but, but also warm industry introductions, right? And our team at Poseidon has, you know, uh, together we've invested over in almost 200 companies, and that's a lot of exposure. So our, our team has a big network and, and, and our team was assembled to actively help founders. We're not just writing checks and going to play golf. I, I don't even play golf. Um, so uh, got to fill the time with something else. And uh, we love working with entrepreneurs. It's been sort of a core tenant of our investment strategies. Mine, uh, Canopy Boulder and Poseidon, when they started their first fund in 2013. So it just carries on and it's kind of part of our 
investing DNA. And um, like you said, Matt, you know, uh, never uh, hold back in helping people connect with one another in the cannabis industry, no matter who they are. And uh, that's really rewarding for us. We know that it impacts our investments, the companies, and ultimately the exit valuations, which are very important for us because they're uh, important to our investors who um, give us the capital that we need to do what we want to do and uh, the impact we want to have on the cannabis industry. So I imagine you have some investors that just want to like write a check and say, you know, Patrick seems like a smart guy, let him handle this. And then other ones are like, I want to be more engaged on what, mm-hmm. the, what investments are happening. How do you address those different kinds of investors? You know, uh, it's a great question. And, um, you know, we have, we're very open, right? Um, we're in, you know, we have a, a, a part of our sort of thesis for investing and finding success investing in the cannabis industry is, is, is connecting good people uh, with our founders. So yeah, we do have a significant um, percentage of our investors who are, you know, they have interest, uh, that, but they know the industry is more complex uh, than they have time to understand. So they hire us as managers to be good shepherds of their capital. And that's, you know, the venture capital model primarily. But, you know, we do have opportunities for investors to engage with our companies, right? We're, we're not just writing checks and sitting back. We're engaged. And if they do have skills or specific expertise that will uh, add value to the teams, absolutely, we engage them with our companies. Um, we would be, uh, it would be wrong not to, frankly. Um, but it's a delicate thing. And, you know, the, it's, it's, uh, it's often more time uh, than many people a lot of investors expect. So we want to make sure that they're uh, cognizant of that commitment and, um, you know, they're ready to go and help out these companies. So we do that a lot. So let's say you make an investment in a startup. Do you then earmark some funds for follow-up investments for the ones that are really getting traction or how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we are uh, earmarking half of the fund for our initial investments and then half of the fund for follow-on rounds. Um, so yeah, we'll make 20 investments, uh, you know, maybe half a million to a million each in the companies that we're going to get behind and then, uh, see how they develop. And for those who are the top performers, we have, uh, more capital to invest in that series A and B and beyond. Um, but in addition, our, um, investors in our fund, the, uh, the LPs, they've proven to be. Uh, active and very interested in follow-on opportunities. So we will set up um, SPVs, uh, special purpose vehicle uh, to invest in the companies in the later rounds. So, you know, we we have capital for that post-seed series A, maybe a little B, but if they go longer, uh, we can help bring in more larger investments, investors into the companies to continue funding their growth all the way to exit. Okay. So Patrick, you have a background in the nutrition and supplement space. What trends do you see now kind of deja vu all over again, where you're saying, Hey, I kind of saw this with the supplement space and it seems to be happening in this, in the cannabis hemp space now and anything that you can focus on. For Absolutely. Us? Oh yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is, uh, it's so clear to me, uh, but I don't see a lot of, uh, chatter online or investment activity around product technology. So product technology um, is an area where you know we haven't seen a lot of investment, but we believe it's going to fuel the next stage of the cannabis cannabinoid industries uh, innovation cycle. Now I saw this happen in the nutrition and dietary supplements industries 
in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s, you know, frankly, consumers continually want a better, more consistent, more reliable product and experience, right? Um, it's like a product promise that we make uh, in our marketing and our, our vision. And sometimes it doesn't always connect, right? The products don't work as well or they're inconsistent, you know, but a great cannabis product is, is not a destination, right? You know, it's a journey on a continuum that's like, you know, rooted in continual investment in R&D and innovation. Um, there, there's a lot of opportunity there to make things, again, more bioavailable, more efficacious, more consistent and reliable. And I think that's what we're going to see uh, driving the next stage of growth. Now, is there a particular investment that you've made with the garden fund that you want to highlight to give us a kind of flavor of what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, probably by the time of this podcast airing, we will have announced our first investment, uh, our first investments in a business technology platform uh, that uh, serves uh, the multi-state operators uh, order ahead and uh, point of sale system. That's just a better alternative to the existing offering out there. Uh, and the second investment is into a single state operator um, in a limited license state that has incredible assets, um, great locations uh, for the dispensaries and a very large uh, license, uh, the top license, uh, largest license one can get in that state for cultivation. And it's sort of like, it's, it's not only that these are great solutions or products or companies, but we're, we're able to target them for investment at the right stage, right? Right before the dispensaries open, right before the first shovels in the ground at the cultivation, just as this business technology company is starting to close uh, other multi-state operators and expand into other states, you know? So, um, and, and these investments opportunities are often coming to us from referrals in our network, right? We've invested our time and energy uh, running around the country and the world, uh, making investments and getting to know people and um, built great relationships. So when these people that we've invested in and we've, we've worked with over the years find good companies that fit our profile, they, they pick up the phone. We're very lucky to have an incredible network uh, effect uh, to help drive our deal flow in the cannabis industry. And, and, you know, with the garden fund, we are aggressively taking uh, advantage of that network uh, so that we can, you know, capitalize on it for the benefit of our uh, fund investors. Now for seasoned cannabis investors, they probably heard you say uh, limited licenses and they know exactly what you're talking about, for, but for the benefit of new investors and listeners, can you talk about why that's important? Absolutely. Um, you know, there are states where it's sort of wide open. Uh, you know, most anybody or the, the, the hurdle for getting a license for a dispensary or manufacturing facility or cultivation is very low. Colorado is a good example of that, where um, there's not a lot of limits put on uh, the number of licenses that the state is going to hand out. Um, and as a result, the valuations, you know, it's like supply and demand. There's there's a you know, larger supply of companies out there. So the demand when there's an acquisition is lower. That means the valuation multiples uh, for companies that exit in, say, Colorado are going to be lower because it's a sort of wide open adult use uh, state. Now, a state like Massachusetts, where it's a limited license state, they've only issued so many licenses for cultivation, only so many for dispensaries only so many for processing and delivery, right? So if you're able to win a license in that limited license state, right, the supply of licenses from the state is lower. Uh, so the value of them 
uh, is higher on the market because there's more demand for um, you know those assets from you know the multi-state operators or investors, and and that's a, that's a that's a very clear. It's not, it's not a new strategy, um, but it's 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 the strategy makes much more sense now um, for for investors to go into the single-state operators in limited license states because you know there's a lot of institutional capital uh, flowing into the multi-state operators and later stage businesses in the cannabis industry. And that's not, you know, just money to park in the bank, right. For a rainy day, this is money that is coming in from the institutions into these larger companies they are going to use for, to fund and fuel acquisition, acquisition and consolidation strategies. So, um, you know, our, our strategy at the garden fund is very clear. We're investing in the post-seed stage where we can get the greatest value in companies that are going to, you know, disrupt and be valuable uh, assets in the industry and become uh, acquisition targets and in, in the short term. Um, so, you know, we're trying to uh, take all the lessons we've learned from, you know, seven, eight years investing in the industry and seeing so much happen and the cycles happen and, and raise a fund that is timed right for um, not only investment, but exit. In the cannabis industry. Now, Patrick, you've heard so many pitches. I, I can't imagine mm-hmm. how many. If you were sitting down with a founder that was prepping his or her first pitch deck, and they were going, they're about to go out and say, "Hey, I, I need some, I need some pointers here, Patrick." Mm-hmm. What, what would you say? One do and one don't. You know, it's a good question. I, I think the the do is to make sure that your pitch and narrative is cohesive with your financial model and your planning. You know, um, a beautiful pitch is not going to do it. Uh, you really do have to have a full data room of uh, that, that sort of is cohesive and 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 logical, and the narrative is consistent, right? So, if you're saying you're going to grow and double in size in three years in the financial model, I want to see investments in marketing and sales uh, in year two, right? That will pay uh, pay dividends to the company in in year three, right? So. So that's definitely one thing that I would um, I would say you absolutely have to do. Um, one thing that I would say you you absolutely don't want to do is be apologetic, right? Um, this is an opportunity. Go in there with confidence. You're presenting a great opportunity for the investors if you've done your work. Um, and and you know I think there needs to be more confidence uh, displayed by entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry, not not arrogance, right? There's sort of this comfortable confidence that we like to see in our founders. They're ready for the challenge. Their eyes are wide open and they're not apologizing for, you know, uh, digging in and and going for it. I mean, it's something, uh, you know, it becomes very apparent when you have sort of a meek founder that comes in and they don't feel, you know, completely comfortable. There's, there's no reason to continue the meeting, come back when, you know, you feel more comfortable. Maybe you've done some more work, uh, you engaged with the industry a bit more, you, you learn more and, um, we like to see that. Now, there's some founders that think they have to have all the answers right now. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. can see kind of a panic go on when mm-hmm. they, they're like, oh my gosh, I have to come up with an answer, even though I don't <laughs> know what it is. <laughs> so it's yeah. perfectly acceptable yeah. to say, I don't know. I'll find yeah. out and get back to you. Yeah. It, and it's that, it's that confidence to and, and sort of self-awareness to say that, exactly that, Matt. I mean, you know, very often I don't have the answer. And I like to see that in our founders, that that sort of humility, but the confidence to admit it, right? Yeah. Um, that goes a long way because I, I, you know, look, if if 
<laughs> if if the future was so clear in the cannabis industry, everybody would be diving in and launching businesses. And one of the challenges is that it's not always that clear. And you need to be very in tune with the industry and have your radar on because you will have to pivot. You will have to zig and zag every once in a while and overcome those moments that every founder has, every team has, where you're faced with adversity and power through it. And, um, you know, the those that are aware of that and have the confidence and understanding that's going to be part of the journey, um, they definitely have more success. So is there anything that a founder typically does that you think's not important, but they seem to think it is like the color motif of their pitch deck or something. And they're like, <laughs> they're, they're straining over that one detail and you're like, you can bleed black and white. It doesn't matter. Like what, what, is there anything you see like that over and over? Hmm. You know, um, every pitch is different. Um, every pitch person approaches it differently. Um, gosh, yeah. Um, I would say that the one thing that, um, I like when I hear a pitch and really catches my attention is when the founder or the founding team has done a listening tour, uh, for their, their target customers, right? So if they're, say they're developing, um, a point of sale software, right. And, and Kyle Sherman of flow hub is a great, uh, case study here before he started flow hub, he went and worked as a bud tender at a dispensary, right? So he got to know how, it, what it's like to be a bud tender and what tools they use and, and where the shortcomings are. And that really informed his decision to launch FlowHub, right? And join the industry in earnest. And, you know, we had another founder, Henry Finkelstein of Cannabis Big Data at Canopy Boulder do that. He went on a listening tour for, for months and just sat down and, and listened to the problems that uh, operators in the cannabis industry had. And that informed his strategy. So I guess what I don't like is uh, when a founder comes in and has what seems like a great idea, but they haven't really gone out and talked to the market to confirm that. Um, there's a lot of great ideas. Things sound, you know, ideas, ideas that sound great, but either the timing's right or the market won't pay for them. And they just don't know that. Um, and, and it's a shame, right? Because it just takes a little bit of effort and connection. So when we see that, that a founder has done that, that's a, that's a big plus. Yeah, it's kind of bridging that gap between what you believe to be true and what's actually true. Like they're saying exactly what their pain points and opportunities are versus what you thought they are. So you could validation and say, oh, they all, I heard this over and over again. I can almost finish their sentences because the last three dispensary owners said this. Yeah. And, and that they'll pay for it. Like it's an acute problem. They're aware of it. They want to solve it and they will pay someone to help or a company to help solve that problem. You know, there's a lot of problems right? That uh, you just let go and you don't deal with. You know, Mason Levy, who uh, one of our founders at Canopy Boulder now runs a, a business called Swivel. It's a chatbot business, very in, very high tech stuff. Uh, he's, he always said, you know, there's fires, some fires you just got to let burn. And we see that in the cannabis industry. You know, there's a lot of challenges. This isn't easy, right? To run a dispensary or to run a grow or run a single state operation. Um, and you're not able to solve every problem that comes up right away. You got to let some of those fires burn. Um, so, you know, as a, that type of awareness, uh, getting to the, yeah, it's a problem and these people will pay for it. That makes a big difference. Okay. Now for a listener that's, you know, comfortable with sh their Schwab account, their Fidelity account, their Vanguard account, they log in, they see the balance, they're happy. They're like, 
what is what is putting money into a cannabis fund going to do for my portfolio? How should I think about it and position sizing and that type of thing? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when I think about all venture capital in the cannabis industry, I'm, I'm, what I think about is the potential. Uh, it's high risk, but it's uh, it can also be high returns, right? You're investing in privately held companies. They're not liquid, right? They're at a stage perhaps where they're, you know, they could succeed or fail with or without the right help and um, support. Uh, so there's definitely risk there, but the reward is the 10x returns that I think a lot of investors looking at the cannabis industry, you know, kind of assume that they will get. And, you know, it's become a, as the industry grows and you have these larger multi-state operators, they're great. You know, they've, they've earned the right to have these billion dollar valuations. They've done it. They've put together the assets, uh, you know, across multiple states. They're, they're operating. We're seeing great you know, incredible growth, but they're at that stage where they're already public, you know, an investment, you may not get a 10X in a company like uh, that's a publicly traded multi-state operator. You might get a 2X or a 3X. Right. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of investors who join the cannabis industry, they they, they think about the cannabis industry in, in the way that we do, and they want the bigger returns. So investing in venture gives you that opportunity where you can get a 10X, like, you know, uh, with the investments. Uh, whereas in some areas in the later stages, it's just not, it's just not part of the, the math doesn't work out, right? They're not going to grow by 10 X in a couple of years. Um, but in venture, you can, you can still achieve those, those rates of return. There's something fun too, about being part of the germination process and just what witnessing things happen and watching founders like struggle, 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 and then succeed and then watch things happen. It's, it's just it's it's like a Shakespearean play in many ways because it's not easy. It's this drama that unfolds, and then you know there's this breakthrough and things happen. But when you look back, it was like wow, that was quite a story, quite a journey. It can take five to ten years too for sometimes these things to unfold. Also, it seems like you know having it be illiquid in some ways is less causes less anxiety than looking at a ticker every minute on your screen. What do you think about that? Yeah, you know. Um, Investing in a venture capital fund like the one that we have, you know, we're very open and transparent with our our investors. So, you know, I always say there's there's you know in the cannabis industry you can be in the stands, right, or you can be on the sidelines, or you can be on the field. You know, when you're a venture investor in a fund like the Garden Fund, I mean, you're 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 on the sidelines and we're on the field with the founders. I mean, it's a it's a big difference, right? You're a lot closer to the action, and like you said, yeah, there's a lot of uh, growth and development and um, evolution and innovation uh, in these 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 sort of post seed and Series A companies. It's really exciting um, and and it's challenging, right? You get to see the challenges uh, that that you maybe don't see when you're investing in just a publicly traded company with a very sort of curated and uh, crafted narrative from the CFO and the the, the PR firm, right? You know, it, it's it's very different, and you know, for me. Uh, and that's not for everyone. Um, you know, I really enjoy that journey uh, that the founders go on, and 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 you know, I think all of us, the Poseidon Garden Fund, feel like we can contribute uh, to the success of the companies. You know, like you know, you know, get just an introduction, right? An introduction that would take a founder a month to get, we can do in a week, and you know, uh, the access that we can provide them in a in a, in a day. That might have taken them a week. I mean, it all makes things way more efficient 
for them. And that, that's a big part of what we're trying to do here uh, and be active with our investments. Well, Patrick, you've been on the show a few times over the years, so I have to come up with some new, some new personal development <laughs> questions for you. So you live in a, a special place in Boulder. What is one thing you most love about living in Boulder and one thing you miss about when it was smaller? <laughs> well, uh, one of the things that I love about Boulder is the easy access to um, outdoor activities and recreation. And so that's a thing for me. I, I get up almost every morning, you know, the crack of dawn and get out on my bike or take the dog on a trail run. And, and that really energizes me and helps set um, the tone for the day. So I, I, I love that, you know, the foothills are just a few blocks away here in Boulder. And, and so that would be the the my answer to the first part of the question, my answer to the second part of the question, you know, Boulder uh, has gone through a high growth period. And, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, uh, they like to complain about how that growth and it bugs them. And, I, you know, I, it really doesn't bother me. Um, I, 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 I don't, you know, I don't really mind the traffic, you know, but then again, I, you know, I used to live in Chicago and have to deal with the traffic there in San Diego and have to deal with the traffic there. So, you know, there's not a lot that bothers me about Boulder. I really do enjoy it. Oh, that's good. The bike paths were my favorite thing when I was there. I really enjoyed the bike paths every, everywhere. Yeah, you can really sort of tune out and just cruise for, you know, hours. Uh, that, and that's the thing. There's just a lot of, lot of ways to enjoy the outdoors here in Boulder. What's one trend you see in the cannabis industry that you think the market is not appreciating enough? One trend in the cannabis industry that the market is not appreciating enough. I don't know. That's a good question, Matt. I mean, you know, we used to think we used to sort of scratch our heads on why there was so much capital going into the Canadian market, right? And that sort of fixed itself. There's way more attention on the US market and the multi-state operators. And it's sort of like that's been refocused. One thing that I think perhaps the market is not appreciating right now is, is the fact that, you know. There's so much more that's been figured out in the cannabis industry on how to run these licensed operators. Um, back in 20, you know, 13, 14, when we started uh, our, our efforts investing in the cannabis industry, me at Canopy Boulder and, and the team here at Poseidon was, you know, the, the, the operators really didn't know what they needed. Um, they were just trying to figure out how to stay in business and, and supply the market and serve the market. And there wasn't a whole lot of refined awareness of what business technology and services they need. That has changed completely uh, flashing forward to today. Um, it's much more clear what's needed. Um, you know, they were very clear that, that you know, IRS code 280E, um, you know, a lot of it impacts the decisions on almost all expenses, including business products and services and technologies, right? So um, perhaps uh, to, to narrow it for you, um, we see much more interest from the licensed operating companies, the dispensaries, the manufacturers, the grows uh, in technologies and services where you can tie the spend on that service and technology to the generation of a new dollar in revenue and, and ideally 16 to 30 new dollars in revenue. So, you know, if you're buying your, 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 your licensing or, uh, you know, becoming a customer of a business like Happy Cabbage, Right, they're a data and analytics firm uh, based in the Bay Area. 
when when a company uh, brings them on and pays them a dollar, uh, they can directly tie that one dollar spend into sixteen new dollars in revenue for that company. So you know because you can't deduct the expense of that one dollar you spend on Happy Cabbage uh, from you know your what you're going to use to calculate your taxes. You got to make sure these 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 expenses on technology are really driving the business forward, and we've seen that 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 awareness develop in the last sort of two years, and it's become the norm now. So, I think that's sort of underappreciated. And what is your favorite unhealthy comfort food or guilty pleasure? No, oh, uh, very easy there, Matt. Um, I. Uh, chocolate chip cookies. I've been during COVID, I've been making chocolate chip cookies probably every week and a half, giving them to our neighbors, um, <laughs> you know, giving to friends. Uh, I don't know how it happened. I think um, it just became a thing. And um, so I've been baking uh, batches of delicious chocolate chip cookies. Like they're pretty good. I'm, 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 I'm confident they're pretty good. <laughs> I, and Matt, whenever you come back into town, uh, I will make sure that uh, you get to try them as well. Oh, thank you. My mouth's watering a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, Patrick, please spell your last name for anybody so they don't they don't, they don't misspell it. And tell them, tell us how they can connect with you, learn more about the Garden Fund and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, thanks, Matt. My my last name's Ray, and it is spelled R E A. And I'd say the best way to get in touch with me would be through LinkedIn. Um, you know, just look me up, Patrick Ray, R-E-A on LinkedIn, and you'll find me, uh, you know, very easily. That's a great way to get in touch uh, about anything in the cannabis industry. We love to, this is the life uh, that we've chosen. And, um, you know, we've got a lot of great experiences and a lot of opportunities for, for everybody who wants to come in and join, whether you're looking to join a team, you want to make investments, you want to have some better awareness of how to do that, or you're an entrepreneur who's got, uh, you know, a little bit of a tiger by its tail and is looking to, you know, figure out what's next. You know, I can definitely, and we can help with that. Well, Patrick, thanks so much for coming on and educating us about the investment landscape and good luck with your next batch of cookies. <laughs> thanks a lot, Matt. Really appreciate everything you do and uh, can't wait to get you back into Boulder one of these days. It's been a while. If you enjoyed the show today, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever app you might be using to listen to the show. Every five-star review helps us to bring the best guest to you. Learn more at cannainsider.com forward slash iTunes. What are the five disruptive trends that will impact the cannabis industry in the next five years? Find out with your free report at cannainsider.com forward slash trends. Have a suggestion for an awesome guest on Canna Insider? Simply send us an email at feedback at cannainsider.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please do not take any information from Canna Insider or its guests as medical advice. Contact your licensed physician before taking cannabis or using it for medical treatments. Promotional consideration may be provided by select guests, advertisers, or companies featured in Canna Insider. Lastly, the host or guests on Canna Insider may or may not invest in the companies or entrepreneurs profiled on the show. Please consult your licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions. Final disclosure to see if you're still paying attention. This little whistle jingle you're listening to will get stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Thanks for listening and look for another Canna Insider episode soon. Take care. Bye-bye.